Well, good morning, everyone. Right. Well, the topic that I've been assigned for this chapel sermon is the ministry of teaching, which seems appropriate at a school that has as its ultimate mission to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and edifying Christians worldwide. And as many of you would know, our mission is a reflection of Christ's great commission that he stated in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey Everything that I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age and thus in lieu of my assignment the part of the great commission I want to focus on this morning is that phrase teaching them to obey because you see it's one thing to teach people about Jesus but it's another thing to teach them to obey Jesus. And I've experienced this in my own family in the last couple of years. My wife, George, and I, we have six grandkids. And my granddaughter, Oakley's, she's six years old and she's a very precocious little girl. And about a year ago, we were babysitting her. She was five years old at the time. Her parents were gone and, and uh, she had been with us all day. It was about 10 o'clock at night and she was talking. She talks all the time. And finally, her grandma had kind of had enough. And my wife, Georgia, looked at Oakley and said, Oakley, you quit talking. You sit on the couch, lay down and you go to bed. Your parents will be home in about an hour. You go to bed. No more talking. And then Georgia left to go take a shower to left the room. And I was sitting there in my chair watching TV. And as soon as Georgia left the room, Oakley sat up and she's like, Gramps. That's what she calls me, Gramps. Gramps, I'm going to talk, but God will forgive me, right? (laughs) And I was like, well, Oakley, God will forgive you, but we're not supposed to like plan our sin. (laughs) And then she looks at me and she's like, well, nobody's perfect. And I was like, oh my word. (laughs) See... As you can see, Oakley knew about the gospel, but was struggling with obeying the gospel. Beeson Divinity School professor Robert Smith Jr., who has preached from this very stage, in a recent article published in Didicatas Journal, argued that Jesus, the master teacher, provides the most excellent example of how to teach well. Dr. Smith demonstrates this through the lens of Aristotle's three modes of proving a speech. Pathos, passion, logos, content, and ethos, character. Now, this struggle that I've been having with my grandkids a little bit about, you know, this difference between knowing the gospel and obeying the gospel was further illustrated about six months ago when Oakley's mother... Um, Ashley overheard Oakley and her brother Archie, who's eight years old, having this verbal exchange. And what she heard was Oakley was kind of instructing her brother, her older brother, Archie. She was saying, Archie, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that you have to be nice to someone even if they're being mean to you. 
And so Ashley, the mother, was kind of listening in a little bit more with this exchange. And all of a sudden, Ashley said, Oakley, are you being mean to your brother Archie? And she said, yes, but the Bible says you have to be nice to someone even if they're being mean to you. (laughs) See, once again, Oakley has the logos, the content down, but not the ethos, the character that comes from obedience. Several years ago, I was teaching a personal evangelism class, and and in the class, like many, there were 15 different passages of scripture that students needed to memorize throughout the semester. And I remember coming to class one day, and there was a memory work that was scheduled, a memory quiz, and uh, I don't know, for some reason, I at the beginning of class, I said, hey, I'm canceling that memory quiz, we're not going to take that. And one student kind of mused aloud, oh, great. Now I memorized that passage of scripture for nothing. (laughs) To which I replied, no, if you just memorized it for the quiz, you memorized it for nothing. You see, the student... (laughs) (laughs) The student knew the logos, the content, but had not fully developed the ethos, the character that comes from obedience. Dr. Smith uses the post-resurrection narrative in Luke 24, verses 13 to 36, to illustrate his point. He writes, in this pericope, Jesus encountered two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, who were talking about everything that had happened in Jerusalem over the past few days. They were discouraged because they thought Jesus was still dead. Then Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But the text says they were kept from recognizing him. And picking it up, the narrative in verse 17 of Luke 24, it says, he asked them, meaning Jesus, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And then Dr. Smith points out Jesus' next move that's key to teaching people to obey. He says Jesus' first move in teaching them was to point them to the word, to the logos. For in verses 25 through 27, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Apostle Paul models this type of teaching in 2 Timothy 3.16. 
He says all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The first move in teaching people to obey is to point them to the logos, to the word, to the gospel. You know, it's been said that our choice of authority determines the nature of our religion. Now, we're a Bible college. Our authority around here is the Word of God because it reveals the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we turn to, to solve when we face issues. In fact, we have a saying around here, let the text win. Let the Scripture win when you have to make make a decision in your life. Now, many people say that the Bible is their authority, but they don't necessarily live it out. I mean, I've preached in little country churches sometimes or, you know, you might be preaching the word and I've had an old guy call me aside after the service and say, well, now, son, let me tell you, the Bible might say that, but let me tell you how we do it around here. And we've done it that way for a hundred years and we're going to do it long after you're gone. And see, they're letting tradition override the authority of scripture. I think where most of us struggle is we actually, the next authority could be our personal experience. That we let our personal experience just override that, the authority of Scripture. It's the ultimate authority. So I might share, you might share the gospel or the Scripture with someone and they would say, well, the Bible might say that, but let, let me tell you what happened to me. And then they just share their experience and that becomes the ultimate authority. And then, of course, one of the last ones is culture. You know, you might be teaching the word of God and a lot of people might say, well, the Bible might say that, but it's 2018. That is so antiquated. We need to move on. We need to make progress. It's 2018. And so they let culture override. Your choice of authority determines the nature of your religion. And Jesus, even in the midst of being overwhelmed, these disciples on the road to Emmaus about the events that had happened, his first move in the midst of that trauma and emotionalism that they were going through was to point them to Scripture. And that's our first move. Now, Jesus' second move, though, was to reveal his identity and character, his ethos. For in verse 30 through 31, it says, when he was at the table with them at the end of the journey, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, And began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. See, it was when Jesus was sitting around a table in fellowship. Taking bread, offering thanks and breaking it. That his identity and character were revealed. It's not just knowing the word, you guys. But doing it that reveals and develops our ethos. And then the final and third result of Jesus' actions was that the disciples experienced a yearning, a pathos, a passion. For in verses 32 to 34, it says, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying it is true, the Lord has risen. And so I guess if I have a dominant thought for this message this morning, it would be this, that Jesus's actions recorded in the Emmaus Road encounter 
are a good model for a ministry of teaching that produces obedience. He pointed his students to the Logos, to the Word, which he practiced with them, revealing his ethos, his character, which produced in them a pathos, a passion. You know, I was, I've been preparing this sermon over the last, oh, couple weeks, and in my morning devotional reading, I was reading through the Old Testament, my Old Testament reading. I just happened to be in Ezra, and just a couple weeks ago, I ran across Ezra 7.10. In the context here, the temple had, has been rebuilt. The exiles are returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. And in Ezra 7 and 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And it just kind of jumped off the page at me. Ezra had set his heart, his pathos, to study the law of the Lord, the Logos, and to do it, ethos, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Parker Palmer, in his book, The Courage to Teach, reminds us, he says this, that what is most important in teaching is not our content or methodology, but our inner life, because a teacher's inner life is always reflected on their students. It was what our founding academic dean Seth Wilson meant when he said, who we teach you to love, meaning God, is more important than what we teach you to know. It's reflected in one of our school slogans, teaching the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ, teaching logos, but doing it in community, creating an ethos that results in a pathos, a passion. Robert Smith Jr. in his article said, the teacher who teaches well must teach in such a way that in the end, Christ is glorified. One of the failures, he said, of much modern day teaching is that Christ is often presented as the circumference and not the center of our teaching. Helmut Tillichie in his little book, A Little Exercise for Young Theologians, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said this, this was a warning he gave to theological students that students going out for this ministry of teaching he said, the student of theology needs to, be caref- needs to carefully watch that he does not increasingly begin to think of God in the third person rather than the second. Sometimes it can get like that, right? That God just becomes a subject we study and we lose this saying the second person reference of our God and my God and your God. OCC's academic mission, our academic mission is to educate and equip students to become like Christ. That's our academic mission, that you become like Christ and serve Christ in leadership ministry. I often say we are unapologetically a Jesus school. That's what we're about. And all our teaching points to Jesus. Mark Maddox, a professor at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, calls the ministry of teaching a sacramental act. He states it is sacramental living as a way of life fueled by God's hope incarnate in Jesus Christ. The hope is powerful, evoking self-giving and full living. We need teaching, he says, that like the sacraments of baptism and communion, mediates God's presence in the church and in the world. As a professor who teaches... He says, I see that one of my primary roles is to mediate God's grace through my interaction with students, personally participating 
in God's redemptive work in the world. See, the word of God, as we know, is not just ink and paper. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And of course, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter said, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, one of the one of the blessings of being academic dean is you, I get to uh, participate in graduate exit, exit interviews. You know, so on your the year that you're graduating, you meet with administrators and we just ask you questions. You know, wh- where are we strong as a college? How can we improve as a college? And I remember several years ago, one graduating senior looked at me and he said, the thing I love about this place, he said, if you come to Ozark Christian College and fit in, and by that, he meant if you just embrace it, embrace chapel and life groups and class and just everything about it, he said, you cannot help but be changed by the power of God. If you come to Ozark Christian College, he said, and fit in and embrace it all. It's a transformational place. It changed my life when I came here as a student. And when I think of the teachers who most influenced me during my time at Ozark Christian College... I mean, I think of Mark Scott and J.K. Jones and Kenny Bowles and Wilbur Fields and Mark Moore. They didn't just teach me content, logos, but they lived out the content, ethos, which produced in me a desire, a pathos to obey. You know, early last uh, fall, my son Doug and his wife Ashley, again, they, were, they have four kids and they had the kids together. They were doing kind of a devotion at night. Um, they're both, Doug and Ashley are both graduates here of Ozark Christian College and, and they had the kids together and they were reading a Bible story about Jesus. And when Dougie was done reading, my son Oakley again, the six year old, looked up and she said, Dad, you know about Jesus, I've never seen him. And sometimes my conscience tells me that he's someone church people made up. So we have to be nice to the cops. It was like, boy. So he looked at her and he said, uh, go talk to your grandpa. You know, there's a lot in that statement. The six-year-old, she was actually five then. A quest for evidence. A search for the foundation of knowledge and virtue. And there are answers to those questions. In fact, I shared some of the answers with Oakley. You just have to talk to her like she's an adult. But it made me realize that when it comes to my granddaughter Oakley, I don't just want to teach her Lagos content, but I want to live out a Christ-like character ethos to produce in her a desire to obey pathos. Because if I don't, she's in for a bumpy road. And you know, Oakley is right. She mentioned earlier that we're not perfect. And when we mess up, then as teachers, we need to model confession and forgiveness and grace. You know, this semester is only a month away from being finished. And for some of you, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And for others, the light is a train. (laughs) And yet... At... 
At this time of year, it's so easy to just focus on logos, on content, and actually compromise our ethos, our character, which can lead to an eroding pathos, passion. We call that senioritis, and some of you have it in your only sophomores. <laughs> because we need everything. If we just focus on logos without the ethos, it's going to lead to an eroding passion. But if you want to be effective, effective at the ministry of teaching, then like our Savior Jesus modeled, we need to embrace everything. We need to keep Christ at the center of everything we do. Uh, years ago, before I came to Ozark Christian College, I attended California State University at, in Chico in Northern California, and I was part of the Army ROTC program at the time, and one of the required classes was military science, and, and I remember I was in class, and a, a full bird colonel taught that class, and the first day of class, he just went and wrote upon the board three words. He wrote, mission, men, and me. And he goes, these three words, these three priorities keep you in effective fighting force. That it always have to be, it has to be about the mission first. And then your teammates and then you. And if you ever make it about you first or even your teammates first and the mission lasts, you will not be in effective fighting force. And I remember thinking about that years later. You know, the same is true when it comes to spiritual battle. We don't fight with the weapons of the world, but we have a spiritual battle. And to be an effective fighting force for the kingdom of God, we need to keep the mission first, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek and save the lost. And then we need to keep our teammate, our partners second. Consider others better than yourself. And then we need to keep us last. If you lose your life, you'll find it. The first will be last and the last will be first. Mission, men, and me. In fact, as, you know, in my position here at the college, I love seeing, you know, freshmen come in and new students, but I love to watch the transformation of a student who's been here four years or five or some of you longer than that. But still, like when you come here, sometimes it's about, you know, you, you love God, but you know, it's, it's really about you and, and what God can do for you and maybe your friends, your teammates and the mission. But I love the transformation. That when you walk across the stage at commencement, it's all about God's mission and then others and then you. Mission, men, and me. It's keeping the priorities right. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 through 29. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And then of course, you know, my favorite missionary, Jim Elliott. I think this is my 15th or 16th time preaching in chapel on this stage. And I think I've used the Jim Elliott quote every single time. And so to keep the tradition going, I mean, my favorite prayer, right, is when Jim Elliott, the missionary that was martyred in Ecuador when he was 28 years old, but the prayer that he wrote when he was 19 at Wheaton College, he prayed, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that people might turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. It's all about keeping Christ first and foremost. 
Well, my grandkids, Archie and Oakley, they're making progress. They actually attend the children's ministry at uh, Carterville Christian Church. Miss Teresa is their teacher. And, and a few weeks ago or last month, they were going through the Ten Commandments. And, and so they come home and they're excited on a Wednesday night. They come over to my house and they're like, Grandpa, we le- you know what we learned in church? And I was like, well, go ahead, Oakley, what'd you learn? And she's like, we learned that you need to honor your father and your mother. And you need not to desire what other people have. Do not covet. And then Archie, the eight-year-old, is like, Grandpa, you know what I learned? And I was like, what, Archie? And he's like, never, ever, ever murder. I was like, whoa, whoa. Who would have known? Right? Who would have known? How do you know that if you don't go to church? Right? Do not ever, ever, ever murder. My grandkids are making progress. They are learning the logos, the word. That when practice is creating an ethos, a character, which is resulting in a pathos, a passion, which is the key to teaching them to obey. Thank you.